John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 173.IS2502, certificate number 34924. The John, would you say you've been to the American bottom? <laughs> Mm. What, what what are your thoughts about the American bottom? Yes. <laughs> the American bottom. Well, there are kind of two things, two, two, uh, two buttocks, two possibilities, right? Or you could mean the southernmost parts of America, uh, or you could mean the lowest parts of America. And oh, I like feel in, in like in elevation or in, in, or in moral depravity. Okay. So that's three different, three, three different ways. When I think of a bottom, I think of a swamp. So have I, have I been to the swampy parts of America? Yes. What are you picturing here? Like the Okefenokee? Yeah. Sort of, you know, down in the, down along the Suwannee river or, or out in, um, Louisiana sort of like sinking lands as they call them. (laughs) The old, old sinking lands. (laughs) But I've been to, uh, I've been to the low parts. I've been to the Southern parts. I've been to the swampy parts. You've been everywhere, man. Yeah. Boston and St. Clair. The, uh, I just came back from America's, they don't, they don't call it America's bottom, although that would be funnier. I've never heard it referred to, but what, what, what would you call America's bottom? The American bottom is actually a geographer's term of art really for the, um, the re- the floodplain of Southern Illinois, like between the Mississippi and the Kaskaskia. Am I saying that right? Um, so where the Ohio and the Mississippi and... And all all y'alls inter- interact intersect. I don't know why it's the. Bo- I guess because it's a it's a it's like saying foggy bottom. It's like um right. It's um the it's low, a term for a, for the low place next to a river where the where the uh, where the fog collects. And it is swampy there, so you're not wrong. But boy, I, I how did I not know that Southern Illinois is the American bottom? I didn't know it either. And you know, I was just there. Did you drive through? Uh, I, we spent the night in Paducah, Kentucky. Oh, we were not that. I was in Carbondale, Illinois. I was right across the river. Yeah. So, um, and and in Paducah, we uh, we you know kind of after we dropped the the young and old off at the hotel, uh, those of us in in the prime of middle age, 
got in the truck and drove around, gave ourselves a little tour of the of the whole environ. And then driving the next day, we went through Cairo. Don't they, don't they say something weird? Ka- Cairo? It's not Cairo Cairo. I don't know. I didn't stop and ask anybody how they pronounce the name of their town. I feel like every time this happens, we get people mad. It's Madrid. It's Lisbon. It's Cairo. Right. Well, let's say let's say Mound City. I went to Southern Mound City. They can't possibly say Mound City is is pronounced Mound City. And uh, and and actually, there that you can you can see the the confluence of the of the rivers, and it's a it's kind of a sight. You know, a pretty exciting place. Did your, am I remembering wrong? Did your mom have a, um, have a theory that, uh, America's bottom in the sense of America's rectum was actually somewhere in, in, in Butte, Montana. Know, Butte, Montana. Yeah. That was, she said, that's where you would put it in enema or a thermometer. Or if, a if you thermometer. wanted to know if, if how much COVID there was but, in Montana, but you know, I love Butte, so I won't, I, I won't disparage it. I stick up for Butte every time. So, you know, that's just, that's just mom's theory. And she was in Butte in the fifties. So times have changed. Butte is, is, you know, Montana's lovely. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, this, this part of American, the American bottom in, um, I, I flew into St. Louis and then had to drive a couple hours really just through corn and nothing. Sure. Corn uh, and trees and nothing. The closer you get to the river, the more Mark Twainy it is. It's, it's very lush. It's, um, you know, I just kind of wandered out of my holiday in once I got to the place where I was going and just wandered through a field full of reeds and there was like a big pond across from somebody's pasture. Right. Um, it, 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 they're weirdly, you, you drive along and your GPS shows you just endless weird shaped lakes. Like it, it must be doing oh, some oh, kind of, Oh, it's where the river used to be. I guess. Right. The river, the river and all of its snaking left these vestigial lakes behind. I guess, but that can't be all of what it is. Like the area is just dotted with ponds. It looks like the Yukon or something. It's, um, there must be some recognition, you know, automatic processing that gets done of these aerial photos. And, you know, can you drive along and you see just these endless little curves of, of lake or, or brook or X brook or whatever it is that you're driving through. Um, and I guess that's, that's the wet, damp, Fertile, swampy character of America, America, the American bottom. The American so, bottom is fertile, apparently. Well, you know, as we were driving uh, west from Paducah to, I guess, uh, New Mexico, we really experienced the gradual incline that goes from the Mississippi River where America is, you know, the, the elevation is measured in tens and and maybe hundreds of feet to... New Mexico, and it appears to be flat travel. Or, or negative, by the way, if you're in the old sinking lands of the Big Easy. Right, down underneath. Um, down underneath where the where the devil lives. You believe the devil lives in Lake Pontchartrain? Uh, well, I believe... Do they have a Nessie? Do they have a Nessie-like creature, but it's a, it's a devil? Having seen... Having seen that movie with Lisa Bonet in the oh, early, right. you know, 19... Angel uh, Heart. Yeah, the late You're 80s. talking about Angel I Heart. I am talking about Angel Heart. The great, the great American film, Angel Heart. It really turned a whole generation of Americans against the South in maybe a possibly racist way? Well, I, you know, it was like... They're just know, doing too much voodoo down there. there was, I, I can't spend any time there. There's all the voodoo. A lot of sexy, sexy uh, ch- chicken beheadings. Sexy voodoo. Yeah, sexy voodoo. Uh, but, but no, you, you know, you, you can leave the Midwest and head 
into the mountain west and feel like you're just driving on a flat plane the whole time. But then you check your altimeter as one does. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're at 8,000 feet and you're like, how did I, we went up 8,000 feet and it never. Did you turn off the fasten seatbelt sign? <laughs> I said, you're now, everybody can smoke as long as you're in the, in you're the back half to, of the airplane. You're free to move about the expedition. It was, uh, it's, it's, it's always impressive, right? To, to, to see, to see how much the, 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 the continental United States are really a giant basin that all collects at the Mississippi. But they so. don't call it Ameri- the American top. They don't, they don't call the continental divide. The American top. The American top. They didn't get the, well, the memo no, from, fact, from Southern they Illinois. Do. They say Grand Tetons, right? So it's like the big, the big boobs. I see. You can, you can, <laughs> so then where's the navel? It must be about halfway in between yeah. Wyoming and Illinois. It's Omaha. The navel is <laughs> Omaha. The, uh, in the mid-1700s, some French monks traveling up and down the Mississippi, saw something that Marquette and Joliet had missed when they were, you know, the first Europeans to take that trip. These are the voyageurs. Les voyageurs. No, but I guess they're monks and not trappers. And they're voyeurs, not voyeurs. They weren't very observant. No. Because what they missed was a giant hundred foot mound, uh, not far from the river. Um, And in fact, a network of well over 100, somewhere between 100 and 170, 120, 170 similar, similar mounds of various shapes and sizes, ridges and other seeming earthworks. Did they miss them because they just looked like hills? They do look a lot like hills. Um, the funny thing about these mounds is that they were, you know, Americans were fascinated with them for centuries. When I say Americans, I mean not the real Americans, I mean the colonists who came later and you and me yeah you and me basically <laughs> yeah we showed up and our we moms were, and dads we were like whoa what's up with this stuff yeah cool mound bro. In, until <laughs> as late as 1921 there was no archaeological consensus on whether these mounds were man-made or not really yeah they didn't have characteristics of something that had been made by men like for instance regular curves there was no yeah i think in the case of uh the, the French monks who, who spotted this immediately saw it as, you know, it's a, it's a weird kind of terraced, raised, you know, pyramid-like thing towering above uh, the river and, and the, that part of southern Illinois. And they were like, oh, this is perfect. We'll build a chapel here to our god. And by towering, how much do they tower? I mean, 100 feet. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and I think... The, pro- the the question is, well, you know, if this is, this does seem to be very regular, but how on earth would it have got here? Yeah. Um, the, um, you know, just to finish the story about the monks, they built a trading post there. And then briefly at the beginning of the 19th century, some Trappists, more monks got right. there and decided the, the terraces would be perfect for gardening. And so they did. Brewed um, some raspberry beer. And if, is that what the Trappists are often doing? That's what that's my feeling about them. Always, Pro- it's always probably. raspberry beer <laughs> with those guys. So like they've tried normal beer, mm-hmm. but they're like, we live a life apart. From, yeah, let's from, brew this beer up a little. Th- that's what God wants? Uh, it's what I wanted when I was drinking raspberry beer. But, that, but the Trappists should surely be doing the divine will. They're imagining hmm. that you know they live a life apart from our regular non-fruity beers. Who can say what what God inspires? He invented the raspberry. There it is. Why would he not want it in in, uh, in his followers' beer? He wanted beer. Clearly, <laughs> why did he? There's no evidence that he wanted beer. <laughs> if he didn't want beer, he could have stopped it at any time. He could have not created hops. 
Think about all the he, things. He could have sent another flood the second the Egyptians <laughs> are about to invent beer. Like this bread I left out is tasting weird. Suddenly the Nile is like. Roo. This is one of the things we don't discuss about religion is think of all the things that God has prevented. We don't know. Well, we know there are no eight-limbed dogs or cats. But we don't know if there ever were. Well, there maybe never were because God intervened in advance of that. In this case, God is the creepy time bureaucrats from the Loki television series. <laughs> yeah. Who is preventing all the timelines where eight-limbed That's right. dogs and cats overran human civilization. Why don't I have four tongues? Because God did not want it. Why is there beer? Because God did. It's, this is way upstream thinking. Here. Yeah, so this is the opposite of the, you know, the problem of evil really troubles people. Why did, you know, why did my neighbor's house burn down? Why was there a genocide in Rwanda? This is, this is the problem of, of, uh, of good. Yeah, this is, pre- this is preempted evil. All of the terrible, terrible, terrible things that could have happened that God didn't want. So the evils that are in the world are, they're pretty tame This really by puts comparison. him in a better light. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's my feeling about it. Somebody presented an enormous book. How many tongues do we put into people? Six? Sixteen? God was like, nope. One. But you don't know if that would have been better. Sixteen tongues? And what do you get? <laughs> <laughs> Boo. So the, the word gets out that the, um, these uh, French monks have found an odd series of hills that are weirdly regular. Uh, and... Frontier frontier archaeology begins to study them. And this leads to, you know, a century or more of fascination with what early Americans come to call. And again, by early Americans, I mean You and me. Our slave owning ancestors, (laughs) not like mom and dad. Not like actual early Americans who will come into the story in a moment. I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Because somebody was there before the Trappists. Right. Spoilers. I just started with them, you know, as kind of a a cunning, uh, 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 what what do you call it, way into the story. Sure, you're starting halfway through. It's an entree. It's in medias res. You start at the murder and then work your way back. The uh, so for a century, Americans, you know, scholars, both amateur and professional, become super interested in what they call the mound builders. Let me ask you. At this stage in Europe, are mounds recognized as uh, as Celtic? Uh, oh, sure. Uh, old things. Yeah, sure. They would have. Um, everybody, you know, it's been well known, probably in England, probably since Roman times. That the, the, the mounds that were... there were weird old, you know, for the main reason that they got looted, <laughs> so people would know. Oh, hey, this is the kind of thing you can find in that kind of mound. All the good stuff's probably gone, but right, you know, there's going to be beads and vases and stuff. Sutton who still waiting there and also still waiting on my list of topics for omnibus. I just saw the Sutton who stuff in the, the British museum. Uh, not, not more than a month ago. Well, well let's save it for the show. No, I, I just, I, I actually want to talk about Sutton who now. What, what if you just commandeer this show and suddenly it's about Sutton just who. Just pivots to Sutton who. And also that Sutton who movie with Ray Fiennes. Yeah. Did, did you watch the yeah, Sutton? Yeah, I did. I watched that. Sutton yeah. who movie or, or Sutton who V as I call it. I, w- I watched the Sutton who movie a long time after I added it to the list of possible uh, topics for Omnibus. But luckily the movie was not good or popular. So you don't have to worry about appearing to be a sellout. Right. No one else has seen it. Now right? that everyone's, <laughs> everyone else is like Sutton who? I can, I can imagine flipping through Netflix because I've been doing it recently and like, there's there's so much content. What should I watch? And it's like, how about a how about an archaeology movie starring Ray Fiennes? No, skip <laughs> skip on through. What people might think it's going to be like a Tomb Raider kind of a thing. Yeah, where he does daring well, sort feats of is. with a bullwhip. Uh, 
Yeah. Is it? <laughs> I mean, they read it. There is a tomb, and he yeah. raids it. Yeah. I guess that's true. But no, it's a lot more slowly paced. The interesting thing about you know the the Midwest is the Americas as the settlers discovered them were no less chock full of mounds than many parts of the old country. Chock full of mounds, and so the assumption was well. They people built these for the same reason, for some kind of ritual reason. They buried a Viking ship for under burials. There. Is probably like, well, it, that was exactly what they thought. So, because a lot of the early mound builder discussion is based on the fact that, well, clearly these could not be the noble but primitive uh, red man, as they might have said, that we that we see um, declining all around us. That right. this was a theory at the time that uh, you know even your your enlightened white thinkers in the Americas at this time would have thought, well, the you know, the, the natives here are, are certainly a noble people, but doomed. Well, and also didn't exhibit any technology that would in- indicate an ability to build 100-foot mounds. That was also the conventional wisdom. Uh, you know, none of the Mesoamerican stuff having been discovered yet, it was really like, look, these are Stone Age people. And even once people started to see, you know, temples in the jungles of Mexico and Guatemala, uh, the consensus still was, and but you know but in North America here we 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 just have these Stone Age people basically who you know wouldn't have even had villages, let alone massive earthworks. Stone Age is an interesting term because isn't it possible to be a Stone Age culture and still build a large mound with your stone tools? Yeah. What what is the? I mean, do you have to be Iron Age to have to to manage? A mound? It seems like you're suggesting that there might have been some racism and colonialism involved in this judgment and not just scholarly thought, and I think you might be right. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, go on. Because all the theories are like, well, clearly some Vikings must have come here right. and built these amazing mounds, because Vikings being white folks like ourselves have the uh, the drive and the know-how and the Yankee ingenuity to build big big pyramid-like things in the American bottom. But you would think... The hemorrhoids if, of the American bottom, if you will. If the Vikings had made it all the way to Illinois, that they would have left a little trail of breadcrumbs, right? In the form of... Little Sutton Hoos everywhere you go? Yeah, all their weird little uh, temples where they were worshiping boughs of pine. Uh, it wasn't just the Vikings. There were um, scholars claiming that it must have been the Welsh. You well, know, now the, see on that. The on Welsher that account, is, I believe it. The Welshers, that's that's your people. I mean, they they have burial mounds. They're a seafaring people. Clearly, well, they and think about the great civilizations that the Welsh have built <laughs> around the world, <laughs> uh, or even even the Hindus. You know, somebody. The idea is somebody somewhere got in a boat. Yeah, and you know, this kind of thinking really uh, flatters the, you know, the manifest destiny of the early white settlers because the implication is. Look, this land didn't belong to the Native Americans either. No, it's your land. It's my land. You know, they 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 took it over from the Welsh or whoever was here building these mounds a thousand years ago. Right. We took it over from them. It's just the circle of life. You know, that there's no sense that we're stealing somebody else's thing. No, it's we're, the circle of life. We're just next. Yeah. Uh, the 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 Toltecs were here, and then the, then the Hindus were here, and the Welsh. Um, which of them built these weird mounds? We don't know. The Hindus. So you can see why. Yeah, this is Hindus with two O's. That you can ex- you can tell Ki- exactly the how they how they're saying it, right? <laughs> um, and I'm not saying this is good scholarship, but and you'll see this by uh, you know the the actual um, kind of the common folklore about these mounds was that they must have built been built not just by vanished proto Welshmen or proto Hindus, but actually by giants. Really? Well, think think about it. They're they're like a hundred feet tall. 
who would wander the plains of the American bottom building something really tall? A very tall tribe. But at the okay, so we've talked about tall tribes before, right? Sure. You did a the, show on the like in, in Patagonia, yeah, maybe? the Patagonian super talls. Um, but but no one ever suggested that the that the pyramid of Giza, the Great Pyramid of Giza, was built by a giant, just a normal sized building for a very tall man. To him, that's not even a pyramid. Like to him, that's just just a it's just, just a place, just a to, house, yeah, a place to put his raspberry beard, set his beard down. <laughs> but but um, but. Yeah, so it's interesting that the that this kind of fantastical, I guess I guess the Americas were too early to the the first Europeans still a place where there might be giants or or uh, big lizards or whatever. Yeah, you they're um they're eager to believe it, and they're do they're the New York Times. You can find in nineteenth century newspapers cases of people digging up what they claim to be just massive human skeletons. Well, one. Guess what we found in one of these mounds? A nine-foot skeleton. Well, wait a minute. In the 1970s, I believe that there were uh, Bigfoots up in Lake Forest Park. In the in the in the 19th century, that stuff wasn't in Time Life books. Uh-huh. It was actually in the New York Times, you know, because <laughs> it would just be a game of telephone coming from Ohio or whatever. Right. And by the time it got to the coast, it would be like word reaches us from uh, the Northwest Territories of Ohio. That uh, nine-foot skeleton has been unearthed from the mounds near. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know where where, where where would it be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, interesting uh, that that in in your cosmology, mid nineteenth century newspaper reporters are speaking in mid Atlantic uh, radio broadcasters' <laughs> accents. That's that's how media people have always talked. <laughs> A big report from outside of London. Nauvoo. London. Let's give the Jerry's what for, shall we? But it's true. I mean, it's true that at, at at a certain point along the way, someone dug up a T Rex skeleton, and that must have seemed just as, in, or maybe more incredible, uh, and would have made it very plausible that you would also dig up a nine foot tall man. Yeah, and I don't know what they're actually seeing. Are they are they seeing a bunch of bones of extinct stuff and thinking? I mean, people knew about mammoths and whatnot by this time. People even knew about dinosaurs by this time. So I guess the idea was stuff used to be bigger. Why not people? And this was just the common knowledge. Like you can comedy f- used to be funnier. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't make blazing saddles today, John. <laughs> like you can even find Abraham Lincoln just kind of waxing poetic about it. Now, of course, we all you know he's a Midwestern guy, also a tall guy. And he's tall, so he probably feels an affinity <laughs> for these. I it, love these mountains. Boy, if I'd lived back then, I would have. You know, I'm I'm eight feet tall with my hat on. I would have certainly built something like this. Um, you can find him talking about how you know. At the same time as the great civilizations of, of Europe and the Middle East were rising and falling, you know, uh, there were, he just takes it for granted that there were super tall people wandering the plains. He says, the eyes of that species of extinct giant whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as our eyes do now. You know, doesn't it blow your mind that Niagara Falls was still rolling while they were b- building the pyramids and when, and when the nine foot giants of Ohio were... <laughs> We're doing all their earth moving. We're coming down across the enormous ice wall that protected us from the invading uh, ghost ghost peoples. Yeah, exactly. That's um, we should have that kind of wall protecting us from Canada. Yeah, for sure. Let's not get started. Game of Thrones style ice wall to keep yeah. the Blue Jays fans out of uh, out of Mariners games. Stop antagonizing <laughs> Canadian baseball fans. So it, nobody ever. 
I mean, there there were scattered cases where somebody would, you know, Thomas Jefferson himself, I guess, did excavation on some newly discovered mound. Oh, boy, you know. And <laughs> ran out there with his little pail and shovel. <laughs> I don't think he was in office. He didn't, he didn't like, <laughs> leave the French ambassador to go do this. But at some point, you know, and he led, you know, he led his own expedition. And he was like, hey, this just looks like, you know, burial stuff of, of Native American tribes. You know, he, he was like, oh, this is just. Indian stuff is my theory. Those are just regular Indian stuff. <laughs> That's what he said. This is a little RIS. But that was not the popular theory. It must have been some lost mega civilization that we know nothing of. Because again, you know, we've seen these scattered hunter-gatherer Indian tribes with their stone axes. Um, right. They. It's clearly not them. It's it's their predecessors. But 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 when we were when when d- discoveries were happening about uh, you know in in uh, in the Yucatan. Um, there was also, I mean, at what point is it true that it was uh, like a, a flourishing culture of such mega proportions that it's not, it, it, that it isn't really relative to what they what they had in front of them, the people that they knew around them? Yeah, I think that was slow. I think the acceptance was pretty, and even today, I think that our our idea in our culture is like, well, of course, there were massive cities and infrastructure projects and armies and civilizations in Peru and in Mexico. But, you know, we, we don't imagine that kind of thing happening. The the Wakanda of Illinois. Yeah. We don't imagine any kind of Wakanda in Illinois uh, right. for, for whatever reason they didn't venture that far up. And that's uh, not entirely wrong. I mean, those, a lot of those big cultures did originate in the Southern parts of the hemisphere, but we now know that there was a, a massive, culture that we call the Mississippian, mm-hmm. just because it thrived along the Mississippi River Valley um, thousands of years ago, hitting a peak around between, you know, 1,000 and 1,200 AD. For for millennia, you know, there were, these areas were peopled by the ancestors of, of today's Native Americans. They were mostly hunter-gatherers, although some of them had learned to cultivate, you know, many tribes cultivated things like squash and sunflower. So, that's the basis for your diet, I guess. You, if you're tired of deer, you have two two vegetarian options: squash and sunflower. Squash and sunflower together. Well, and you put it you put it in a blender, and you add a little bit of spinach and some raspberry beer, and you've got a smoothie. They don't have spinach. They oh. don't have raspberry beer. Oh, boom, bummer. The problem with those ingredients, they are not squash or sunflower. I see. The two things we know were cultivated <laughs> like three or four thousand years ago on this continent. They didn't have pumpkins? I thought pumpkins were... I guess when I say squash, I'm including, oh, sure. all, I'm including all the gourds. Yeah, okay, okay. They had zucchini, if Sun that flowers. helps. Uh, what about maize? I mean, my people call it maize. That's the thing. Maize uh, had not yet... Migrated. Moved, migrated north oh. from its original home in what is today Mexico and Central America. That didn't happen until the Little Ice Age uh, of the, you know, the first millennium of of this. It's not the first millennium of anything if you're not Christian. Right. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> the first millennium uh, CE, I guess, right. of the common, common era, era, AD. Um, it got replaced by what we now call the medieval, the medieval warming. Uh-huh. Earth got a little warmer. That's when that, that ice wall that protected us from Blue Jays fans finally melted. And they were and like, the blue, you the know what? Lakes. We can go without Tim Hortons for a couple of days. Let's go menace the truck stops of Everett and Bothell on our way down to, to the ball game. Right. In our American made Winnebago's. We do not understand the ball game, but we're going to be so drunk. <laughs> oh it won't my matter. God, we're going to get so many letters. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're not sending their best, John. The um, and so as it gets warmer, maize moves north. Your people call it maize. Yes, I say corn. Sure. Uh, I, I just found out that you know the blue and yellow of, of the University of Michigan. We had a we had a listener write in offering us tickets to Michigan football games. Who you and me? Where yeah. was I when that email came in? Uh, you're not checking the email like usual. <laughs> I was just at Ohio State. I, I was in Columbus and went to the. Went, you went to, You saw the stadium. Or? I went to the stadium. I, there wasn't a game at the time, but so they wouldn't let you in. So I thought about you know I thought about the Michigan Ohio State rivalry. Another thing I'm thinking about as a potential omnibus topic. I got good stuff about that. Uh, the Michigan Ohio State. I mean, the Michigan Stadium is even bigger. Can't you fit like 110,000 yeah, people in it's there? Enormous. I think they call it the Big House. Anyway, they uh, their colors, which I have always thought of as blue and yellow. The yellow is actually maize. Oh, that's. And the blue is azure. <laughs> I don't want to get this wrong because I'm going to get. We're, we'll hear from a bunch of happy Ohio State fans. Yeah, if is we it, get it, if we get the Michigan story wrong, is it? I think it's just maize and blue. They don't say maize and something. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I guess it goes back to 1860s when it was actually maize and azure blue. Oh, so, hello. So you know, often it's people in the stands wearing blue, but occasionally they'll do a maize out. And our correspondent says you got to be here for a maize out when everybody's wearing yellow. And I was just annoyed at the. At the frequent repetition of the word maze. Sure, maze out. Stop saying maze out. Stop saying it. Mazy glots, as my dad would say. <laughs> Mazy star. Wait, why would your dad say Mazy glots? Mazy glots. My was... dad said Mersey dotes. Yeah, sure. My dad said Mersey dotes too, because what the hell? When We're he Americans. Was, when he wasn't busy <laughs> saying Mazy glots. No, you're saying that like that's true of everyone. We had the last dads that said Mersey dotes. I say Mersey dotes. Oh. Well, and dozy dotes. You're paying it forward. Yeah, I, 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 I say it when, it, when it's. Well, when, when it's, it's applicable, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Maisie Glotz was the name that my dad used for any, you know, to mean uh, <clears throat> like any woman. He would say, oh, well, I, you know, I was like down Jean there. Doe? Yeah, I was down there and I was talking to Maisie Glotz and she told me that I couldn't. We need to do a show about this. That's insane. <laughs> so Maisie Glotz is just the just my name for, yeah, it's like, it's Jane Doe. Maisie right? Glotz sounds like it would be a, a euphemism for when you have your, your monthly visitor, you know, like, right. oh, Maisie Glotz is, Maisie Glotz uh, is, is come here, to, I guess. come to stay for a week. That's crazy. Yeah. If I look this up, do you think it's a thing or do you think your dad made it up? I've never looked up Maisie Glotz. It just never occurred to me because it feels like the... N- and Dozy Glotz? I know, I know Maisie Glotz as I know my own hand. I, I think maybe I'm not going to stop the show to look up Maisie Glotz, but I kind of want to. Yeah. Ken, uh, Christmas is upon us. No. Halloween is upon us. And, uh, yeah. And it's time to start thinking of Halloween gifts and Thanksgiving gifts for the people closest to you. Are those the big gift giving, uh, occasions in your household, Halloween and Thanksgiving? My daughter yesterday said that Halloween was her favorite holiday, even over her birthday, which has always been top of the, of the pile. Does she know her birthday is not a holiday? Uh, she doesn't know, <laughs> and I'm not going to be the one that tells her, but, uh, Halloween, she said it had, it combines my two favorite things, candy and costumes. No gifts. No gifts. I always, as a kid, I loved getting a stocking full of candy on Christmas, but that was just like an asterisk compared to the a bunch of toys. Massive bag of candy though, that you get in, at Halloween. It is a big bag. I mean, her comment might be kind of casting a little shade on the Christmas present she gets, but that's dumb she gets great christmas presents the point is that when you get to be an adult you don't really get to avail yourself of or yourselves of a giant bag of candy and you also your christmas presents kind of drop off in quality right you start getting pocket flashlights and 
you know. It's more like, what do you even get someone that age? But what you can get for yourself and for your loved ones are omnibus t-shirts. Omnibus t-shirts are basically a way of signaling to the rest of the world that you are a cut above. A person of taste, not just in podcasting, but in fashion, because these are good looking shirts. Have you seen the two latest ones? Describe the shirts to me and use your most florid language. I'm not. You're not really a describer, are you? I'm not really going to do some Tim Gunn thing here It's got two sleeves and it's made of cotton. The, they are the original designs from uh, ooh, back in the day, earlier in the year, or even I can't remember last calendar year. Uh, the omnibus logo in kind of omnibus shelter, uh, Fallout Shelter yellow, and yet, and yet, this is a twist on it. It's a it's a sparkly gold yeah. that is very glam. That is glam. I, I, cool. I was always shy about wearing sparkle uh, t shirts until I got one, and then. All I want is sparkle t-shirts now. And I don't think they're the kind where the glitter gets everywhere. Although, no. you know, I don't want to face a bunch of lawsuits if your glitter gets everywhere. Right. The other one is, uh, says Futurelings with, um. That's the one you designed. Yeah. I drew some, I drew some various kinds of Futurelings, a tentacle and a robot hand and a lobster claw. And this one is that design, but glow in the dark. Glow, the shirt glows in yes. the dark. If you have been looking for something to make you stand out on. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. or during on the dance floor, or during a blackout, or on, at, at, at in the club, in the club, right? Um, you know, really, all those places. What could be more appropriate than a, uh, a slightly nerdy podcast by middle-aged men? Maybe don't wear it to an astronomy uh, like sure. telescope. Group. If you're at like a dark sky event, yeah, in southern Utah. Or uh, uh, some isle off Scotland. It might act- actually be fine. It's it'll be it's just it's going to glow just enough that it's funny, but not enough to like to mess with the retina of your yeah. fellow astronomers. Just put a sweater on. The thing about those glow in the dark shirts is they need some exposure to light. Yeah. So oh, hide, right, so. hide them in your closet before you get to the dark sky observation event. Oh, I thought you were making a comment that nerds wouldn't see the oh, sun. <laughs> you would never go outside. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, these shirts are awesome. They're available for a limited time. And we highly suggest that you order one of each for yourself and then for all of the people that you love. In your Buy life. one of each size because, you know, this pandemic's been going on for a while. You don't know how much weight you're going to gain or lose. Right. And also, you never know if you're going to get a new significant other and they're going to show up and start stealing your omnibus shirt to wear as a sleep shirt. And you're like, wait a minute, like, that's mine. And then you should already have one in in a smaller or larger size. And you know that feeling when a favorite t-shirt finally starts getting a hole somewhere near the collar or under the armpit and suddenly you don't have your favorite t-shirt anymore. So you might want to get three to five of each. Depending on how punk rock you are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, do you want an omnibus t-shirt with a big hole? I guess it depends on where it is. I, I gave a, a, a gift of a band t-shirt to a, to a lady friend of mine recently, and the next time I saw her, she had cut the sleeves off of it and the collar out of it, and I had to confess, made it a cooler shirt. Uh, yeah, that's, that's on the table. You can, you can get several of these and, and deface them. Cut the sleeves off, cut the collar out, and all of a sudden, it's like an omnibus, kind of ripped, flash dancey, uh, off-the-shoulder Cool, cool kid shirt. But do not remove the tag under penalty of law. If you want to see the new shirts, 
and see that if they strike your fancy or any of the other merch we have available, you can always go to omnibusproject.com slash store and enter code omnibus and get absolutely nothing. <laughs> as, as Maze moves north, um, some of the wandering peoples from this part of, you know, from the beginnings of what we now call the Mississippian culture, because we don't know what they called themselves. They had no, they left no, they had no written uh, language. Mm-hmm. So they, hard for us to know their stories. Um, but uh, they discover that what we now call the American bottom is super fertile because the Mississippi River just floods all the time. All those little lakes. Yeah, it's all the glacial stuff from when uh, they melted. Right. And uh, if you don't have oxen, and if you don't have steel plows, but you're going to farm for corn, you need good soil. You know, you need... That black bottom. You need that black bottom soil of the... The American bottom's black, apparently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so this becomes a real center of... Um, their community. And around 700 to 1000 AD, they found a city there, the same one that the monks later found, later discovered the the remaining earthworks from. They did not call it Cahokia. That's that's like a later descendant of some Illini people that the early Europeans found there. So they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the, you know... From the Cahokia people, but in it's, the absence it's not Cahokia at all. In the absence of a of a written language, how do we know what they called it? Exactly. We. I see. It, they maybe they called it nothing. Sure. Maybe no, it, I bet you they didn't call it nothing. You had to say, "I'm here. I'm going there. I'm going to the big city. I'm going to the city. I'm going to town. <laughs> going downtown. <laughs> and it literally was a city. The funny thing about this, because we do not imagine a Wakanda in southern Illinois of all places in one thousand. AD. There certainly isn't one there now. <laughs> <laughs> You're not counting East St. Louis? It's not it's not the place that that we as Americans chose to build our temple. Um, but there are the estimates of what the population of the city might have been. You know, now that we've kind of studied the 120 plus mounds there and tried to get a sense of what the city would have looked like then by virtue of just archaeological finds. The 120 mounds are are all they're not just widely dispersed. Because as you drive through Ohio and all these, you know, there's always some sign that says like, come see our mound. Yeah. There's a mound over here. There's a mound over there. But you're saying that these mounds are all part of a part of one, uh, big construction. It's a complex. Wow. And what's more, the more it's studied, the more, um, method there seems to be to what the monks would have just thought of as some random bumps. The, uh, I have that random bumps in your American bottom. I keep keep having, I keep going to the dermatologist and they're like, it's nothing. It's nothing. For example, it all seems to be on a grid. Um, what really? Yeah. The grid is like, it's it's the stuff you would, you would, you would, you know, be mildly interested about if you heard it from a, like a Toltec or an Aztec or a Mayan city. But the fact that it's in Southern Illinois, you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Well, Um, so it's uh, like six square miles. Oh, it's a grid. Oh. It's tilted, I think, uh, five degrees east of north, which seems to be... Um, what is magnetic north in that area? <laughs> well, it seems to have astronomical significance. Okay. Like, that That tends to accord with maybe something related to the solstice or where the moon rises at the you know, the equinoxes. You know, like, yeah, there there seems to be ago. maybe some, some um, astronomical reasons why you would orient your stuff five degrees east of north. And Could also be a prank. <laughs> like, or just shoddy work by the first guy. 
<laughs> so which way is north? Uh, it's more or less that hill. See the tree up there? <laughs> Let's just say it's the tree. It's more over there, but there's no tree. Yeah. There are, uh, it was heavily wooded, right. by the way. Right. So, because um, we we know that they, there's signs of all the wood they use. In fact, this, um, sp- the reason why we know about their astronaut- astronomical know-how is because there are a series of circles of where wooden poles had been placed Vast circles, not too different from the... Oh, tree hens. The hinges, yeah. They call it wood hinge now. They're wood hinge one through five, five different massive circles of poles. I've been to a couple of the of the wood hinges. In the U.S. or in the U.K.? In the U.K. Yeah, the U.K. has a wood... The funny thing is it's all... There's no such thing as a hinge. It's a back formation from Stonehenge. Oh. But now they're like, okay, we got other hinges. Hinge is not really a word. <laughs> it is now. It is now. Waka there's, waka. There's Manhattan Hinge. So you're saying that this... Uh, that so, this so, the, yeah, go ahead. These cities were made of wood, and so unlike uh, unlike the great stone constructions that survive thousands of years, w- the reason we we only see the mounds is that the, the everything else... Everything is, else didn't last. Wow. Okay. But they were somehow doing these massive earthworks, and... It now appears they built these mounds pretty quickly. Like, even though they're like 100 feet tall and they had to move earth and clay with nothing more than stone axes and uh, woven baskets, that they were built, I mean, when I say quickly, I mean over a matter of decades. But, right. you know, faster than a cathedral. Right. In, in If we're talking about what's going on in Europe at the same time. And, uh, and in some cases, what, 55 million cubic feet of dirt hmm. in the larger mounds. Hmm. So, you know, a big project to tackle. Are they hollow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are they filled with cream? <laughs> uh, no, you're thinking of the Cahokia Almond Joy, which has, which has a nut in it. These, yeah, are the it co- these are the Cahokia Mounds. It's all coconut. Well, the thing is, the Almond Joy has nuts, but the mounds don't. Yes, it's, it's just coconut under there all the way down. Um, the funny thing about the, the circles is that they, they, they found a few poles, or the, you know, po- what appear to be post holes, evidence of post holes. And they thought, wow, these things are pretty deep. There was something big here. And they started to plot the arc. And, you know, I think a decade went by and somebody was like, well, what if it's a full circle? And they start digging somewhere else very far away. And they're like, nope, here they are again. Uh, As predicted, you know, kind of like finding Uranus or Neptune from their orbits, they could find the rest of the circle. And how big was the circle? All five of the wood hinges have different diameters, ranging from 240 feet across to 450 feet across. And... They also seem to be aligned with, um, you know, for example, where the sun would set or rise on certain astronomically significant days of the year, solstices and equinox and so forth. So this whole area is in what <clears throat> what would now be called suburban St. Louis, eastern St. Louis, Illinois side of St. Louis. Yeah, and I drove through East St. Louis on my way to Carbondale, and I wish I had stopped because I was no more than a few miles from the mounds, which are now just outside Collinsville, Illinois. And it's now like a, you know, one of the most visited, you know, it, state parks in Illinois. It's a historic site, and now it's a UNESCO, it's a National Historic Landmark and a UNESCO site. It's also the site of the world's largest largest ketchup bottle. <laughs> Collinsville? Yeah. I thought, uh, you know, because the St. Louis airport goes to great lengths to tell you they have the tallest monument and the biggest zoo. Oh, but yeah. But nobody mentions if you just cross, maybe because you have to cross a state line, but nobody mentions the biggest ketchup bottle. The biggest ketchup bottle. It's on the Illinois side. Could you fit it through the arch? Could you deflower the St. Yeah. Louis arch yeah. with, the, uh, <laughs> bet you could. with Illinois' biggest ketchup bottle? You missed going to Frederick's mu- Music Lounge, although I think it might be closed. I'll, 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 I'll clue you in the next time you're headed there. Have you played in Collinsville, <laughs> oh. Illinois? Uh, no, Frederick's Music Lounge, I'm sorry. Oh, in St. Louis. It's in St. Louis, oh, okay. yeah. Uh, that would be amazing if you had 
done the rawhide theme in some little <laughs> redneck bar in Collinsville, <laughs> Illinois. Rawhide! Whoosh. So we know these people had big mounds and advanced We've got astronomical <laughs> advanced astronomical knowledge. Um there is, you know, even though the, the wood is gone, you can you can it's like Sutton Hoo, you can see traces of of where it was. And so we now know there were like big buildings atop the mound. So these would rise above the city. Wow. Okay. It would be like the the Acropolis or whatever, except they had to build their own because they didn't, you know, Cahokia, whatever the city was called, did not come with its own mountain. So it was probably a, like a ritual space that the the wealthy that there was a you know apparently a caste system. So the the chiefs, the powerful people would have lived up there. There was a ritual space for whatever their religious practices were. So the mounds are not the, the mounds are the, not the footprint of the city. The but the mounds are not themselves the thing. They're the they were the foundation of structure. They were yeah. They were built so that the gods or the wealthy or the chiefs or whoever it was could, could literally look down on the rest of this fairly vast city. Is that true of the other, all the other Midwestern mounds, the snake shaped mounds and all that, or are they now believed to have been the foundations of, of buildings? Maybe. I mean, the thing you'll see here is that, you know, for, as Cahokia actually started to be studied through the 20th century, it was kind of thought of as an anomaly, you know, essentially a Wakanda, you know, uh-huh. we know the rest of these tribes were just, you know, spearing Buffalo and having a good time. Sure. These guys built a crazy city. And I think the academic consensus is now moving toward the fact that Cahokia is not really out of line that, uh, with the Mississippian culture and other native cultures of the Americas that they did, lived together in cities and communities and at times big cities formed and other times they didn't. Um, so it's just not that unusual. We, we just don't, you know, we have this maybe kind of a romantic view of, well, they were so in harmony with nature. Obviously they just lived in little lean tos in the forest when in fact, you know, these mounds would have been surrounded by, you know, plazas where we, we know from what we found there that merchants and artisans were making pottery and fashioning, plows and other things to sell. Um, The amazing thing is there's traces of copper that we know comes from Lake Superior. We can see they were bartering with shells that have come from the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, okay. So So a trade culture. All the way up the river. Yeah. Um, Flint and Chert from Oklahoma, mica from the Carolinas. Um, So it's a a Native American culture that's just taking advantage of the mineral resources to... um, produce tools and art. And that's not something we imagine from a thousand eighty. Any, uh, irrigation canal d- works. I mean, no. all that probably got swamped away by the river too. There doesn't appear to be any kind of sanitation system. And this plays into later theories about, you know, now, now that we know what Cahokia was and how remarkable it was, you know, the next question historians want to answer is where did it go? Because of course, uh, like the est- you know, we, we have to be careful estimating population, but it sure seems like around the year 1200, there were over 10,000 people there, maybe more, maybe 20,000, maybe 50,000. This would make Cahokia bigger than London or Paris in the 11th and 12th centuries. And that has as much to do with, you know, London going through a rough time post-Romans <laughs> than it does to do with how well Cahokia was doing. Well, I'm, I'm imagining at once. even without a sewer system, Cahokia could not have smelled any worse than London in 1000 <laughs> AD. 
Right. So, so what, you know, what, what happened to them? You know, like uh, I think in the nineties, there was a pretty well accepted theory that it must've been deforestation. We see evidence that these people used lots of wood. Once the wood was used up, you're going to get more flooding. I guess, you know, yeah. tree roots pull a lot of water out of the soil, water out of the soil, um, you know, treeless plains get waterlogged faster. They don't absorb as much water. So you get runoff. So you get flooding. Hundred year flood, thousand year flood. One of them could have wiped it out. Right. So they, so the assumption was while well, they deforested everything and then it just started flooding all the time. And they were like, look, we, uh, Koki is just not for us. We're going to, it turns out we're going to move back to my mom with my mom in Henderson, Nevada or whatever. <laughs> huh? Um, you know, people flee the cities, I guess, just, yeah, like, just, right? <laughs> just as it's happening today. <laughs> But there's been some new research just from the last few years, one study in 2018 and one in 2021. The recent one from just from this April could not find any evidence of flooding at all. Oh. Um, you know, you'd think you'd see the yearly alluvial deposits or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, from the flooding and there's just not there. So, you know, maybe although they had a lot of wood, maybe they just did a better job than we do at not using up the resource they had. Um, there was another study from 2018 that, um, I guess you can, one way to find human habitation in strata of dirt is to look for coprostantol, a uh, chemical that's found in human poop. You can okay. tell, you can tell how many people have been pooping at a place over time. But by, if they're all pooping in a poop hole, you're not going to find it just like spread evenly around. I don't know. Maybe it eventually spreads. There's, um. You know, it it rains and there's groundwater and the yeah. coprostantol gets into it. <clears throat> I suppose so. It so gets, what's, what are the coprostantol uh, rates there? The coprostantol findings are just surprising because it shows that far from being deserted around, you know, 1300, like I think people would have assumed about the Cahokia Mounds. In fact, it stayed a, a dwelling place for local tribes throughout the centuries, you know, um, it wasn't abandoned. It just became more, less densely populated. Yeah, more a local local spot. And why is that? Like, um, there's evidence of, you know, wooden palisades, you know, like stockades, like built to defend it. Right. So it could have been war. Sure. It could have been uh, invaded or As so often abandoned. is the case, war. Oh, boy. What is it good for? <sighs> just absolutely not. It's, it just makes you think about it does about right. man's inhumanity to man. Right. Um, the lack of sanitation facilities really leaves it open to the possibility that it was a dysentery or tuberculosis or something that wiped it out. I mean, the amazing thing about a city on on an enormous river is that you can just go poop in the river. That's and what it I would just do. Goes, it ends up being somebody else's problem. It it's, gets it gets eaten by the devil serpent of, of uh, New Orleans or that's whatever. Right. Um, I, it could have been famine because you can imagine if you've got 15,000 people or whatever it is living right there, like how many deer are there going to be? Well, you're all eating sunflowers and gourds. <laughs> are there enough gourds and sunflowers for all? It's hard to say. One thing that may have happened is around 1300 uh, AD, we have the first evidence that buffalo, that bison crossed the Mississippi River. Oh. And apparently they headed west like the like the pioneers after them. Wait, you're saying that the bison were native to east of the Mississippi and they hadn't they weren't yet on the Great Plains until 1300? 
No, you're right. They arrived from the west. So, so they crossed they're the crossing river the Mississippi east. Headed east. Yeah. That's what you you don't want bison in Chicago. They uh they were interested in show business. Mm. They were heading for the bright lights. They were heading for the bright lights of Broadway. They were heading for Buffalo, maybe. They were shuffling off. <laughs> and, you know, there may have been, you know, if they if they if the Cahokia area suddenly starts to get touched by buffalo herds, right. then suddenly the idea might be, hey, um, this is good eating. Let's follow these buffaloes. Yeah, let's just see where these guys are coming from and we can live a live a good life on the plains. Right. So maybe Co- the people of Koki got siphoned they, off they the west. Draw, they looked at their gourds and they were like, oh man. I mean, what are, the, what are you even doing with the sunflowers? It's hard to imagine. Are you, you're just smashing the, the um, seeds into a kind of paste? Yeah, delicious sunflower paste, oil, you know. Because if you've ever put that on a sandwich because you have a peanut allergy, you know it's not great. Sun, sunflower, yeah, sunflower. Even today with all the, butter. the salt and other stuff we put into it, mashed up sunflower on, you know, as a snack. Yeah. It's not the best. You can see you can see why corn would be very tempting to these people who would I have noticed on um I was on the plane the other day and instead of giving out Cheetos, they were giving out pitos, which are a healthier version of Cheetos made from legumes. No thanks. And I just thought, you know what? <laughs> we have maize now. We don't yeah. have to eat pitos yeah, anymore. Keep your, keep your pitos is what I say. Can they be sued by Cheetos? I d I don't think they should be allowed to just Everything's an O's. You think there's prior art? Fritos, Doritos, Cheetos? Yeah. Somebody owns that. Frito Lay, maybe. Well, no, we've we've talked about the invention of the of the Dorito. Does Frito Lay make pitos? Who makes pitos? Maybe Frito Lay. Anything that you, the you say Edo, Frito comes in. They own um, Lance Edo, for uh-huh. example. Uh-huh. No, pitos that explains is a, it. Pitos is an is an up and coming Frito Lay rival, but I don't think Frito Lay has anything to worry about because that, they they had the genius idea to not make their chips out of peas. Is there any precedent for a people that had formed a city, um, like a, a town building people, choosing to become nomadic Just bailing. because there's a new food source that arrives and they're like, you know what? Like this whole stay in the same house all the time thing is kind of dull compared to like eating big fat steaks every night. Yeah, we always assume that cities are just so efficient or so alluring in some way that once you have Londinium, yeah. you don't go how you know how are you going to keep them down on the farm? Right. Why would you pick up and head out? But imagine a world where Surrey is just full of buffalo as far as the eye can see. <laughs> and you know, you you hunt for a week and then you can eat well all winter. Maybe people would be like, "You know what? London's not for me." Like uh Yeah, I that that's a you you just you do think of the quote unquote march of civilization as one that always tends or trends toward greater domesticity. We also don't know how good life was there. I mean, there's a right in front of the uh, in the main plaza. There seems to be a chunky court. Go on. <laughs> have you ever been? Have you ever been arraigned in chunky court? <laughs> is it chunk? <laughs> what do you mean chunky court? Uh, chunky is the name of a. Um, Native American sport whose oh, descendants see. we still see today. You roll some kind of a stone disc along the court and then try to throw a spear where it's going to land. Oh. So it's a more exciting version of bocce, I yeah. guess, because okay. first it's of all, got it's, got, it's got spears. <laughs> and second of all, you know, the, the item is still moving when you do the, when you try to do the, the locating part of the game. Yeah. A, a hunting, uh, um, a hunting, uh, facsimile. Yeah. It's, it's, stand, it's a stand in for hunting, but they've also been discovered, um, 
Yeah, so you know they've got so they got pro sports. They got a pro sports franchise. Right on. But they also have. We've also discovered mass graves of young people. Oh. With no sign of disease on their bones, but mm. maybe some evidence of strangling, and um, some of them have had their hands and heads cut off. Even even the worst archaeologists will notice immediately. Someone's if, missing if a, their if a hands skeleton has had its hands and head cut off. <laughs> and this is often what you find in cultures that have human sacrifice of yeah. some kind. You know, a bunch of young people don't just all die together. They're also like... Um, Unless they had fraternity parties. Well, yeah. I mean, in this case, there's other graves where there's evidence that the skeletons tried to dig out. So that would have, oh, been, dear. That would have been a heck of a party. That's a terrible story. So, you know, we don't know much about the, the religious beliefs of whoever lived in... Cahokia, mm-hmm. when they were, when it was not mounds, but you know downtown, and but it seems like it wasn't great for everyone, right? <laughs> I think that's true of every civilization. I mean, you know, building all those mounds, you have to assume that most of the laborers probably were not like well paid and like they probably weren't contract labor; they were probably pressed into service. Is there a future for our cities where? I mean, I guess we're using metal and masonry now, but, you know, we're talking to people a thousand years hence. That will have all crumbled. The concrete will have crumbled. The metal will have rusted. Not fully away. The glass? You know, the metal in Sutton Hoo is looking pretty, it's in pretty bad shape. Yeah. Like, it's it's just... Yeah. you'd, You'd have a hard time identifying it as metal, honestly. What's interesting is that the peat bogs that preserve... Um, things so, you know, anaerobically in Northern Europe that there wouldn't be any peat bogs in this region. It feels very peaty. What a shame. And uh, that there wouldn't be eventually some discovery of, uh, of things preserved, you know, like, like, um, things that hadn't decayed completely. You you only, you only, you only hope, right? Yeah. Like, uh, sunflower leavings. Yeah, who knows? Em- who, empty squash. I mean, squares. all you would have to find is one warrior who fell into a to a peat hole to know what they wore one thousand times more than what we know now. I wonder if, but I, I was thinking about like what uh, our future listeners will like. Is oh, it I possible see. they will find our earthworks when you know the metal is crumbled and the masonry is dust? I guess the plastic will still be there. So they'll find big earthworks, you know, they'll find foundations and stuff. Yeah. You know, square-shaped holes and square-shaped rises, but just what littered with um, chip clips and hair We've done so much terraforming, you know, I think it's going to be, no matter how much it all falls apart. You can see it from, you can see right angles from space now, right? You know, the Duwamish River here in Seattle, you know, aliens could, uh, from a very high orbit, be like... Even if we were all gone, they would be like, well, this has been inhabited. Even if it washes out, right? All the places that we've cut and covered, all of the interstate highways that... I feel like Mount Rushmore would be very hard to, to consider a natural formation. Yeah, right. <laughs> Boy, what are the odds? All it takes is one nose to survive, and it'll still have a, pose a lot of questions. I mean, we've seen the old man of the mountain, but what are the odds there would be four old men on the mountain? <laughs> also, you've got Crazy Horse sitting, uh, you know, what is... 20 miles away so again what are the odds yeah that's real real uh, irony uh, geological irony and that concludes the Cahokia Mounds entry 173.IS2502 certificate number 34924 in the omnibus 
Futurelings, in the unlikely event that anything from our civilization survives well enough for people to understand, or for futurelings, rather, to understand what possibly could have comprised our civilization or why we built all these dumb sports stadiums. What the hell games were we playing? Chunky. How, how are we go, how, how are futurelings going to understand baseball? Imagine, I don't understand it now. <laughs> Imagine how wrong they will have been about so many things, you know, about these, their distant Cahokia-style ancestors until they discover the omnibus. Right. And they're going to be delighted. They'll be like the, at the new knowledge. We thought the Beatles were warriors, but it turns out they were just sing-songers. <laughs> they're going to have to consult the Canadians to figure out how baseball is played. The um, Canadians don't know. You futurelings will, as you start to uncover our civilization, absolutely want to go check out Ken's and my uh, heyday of super good tweets and other social media posts starting in 2010 and going until, what would you say, six months ago? <laughs> uh, at, at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Um, you can email us <clears throat> at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can support our show, even uh, from the mists of the future, by going to patreon.com slash omnibusproject and becoming a patron of, uh, of the show. And as a patron, you will acquire all kinds of special powers. You'll be able to clairvoyantly speak to the dead. You'll join the Time Variance Authority and be able to snip off renegade timelines that God does not approve of. That's right. That's right. You, you, uh, you'll have access to, um, to the predictive technology of, of uh, detectives that live in ponds and can see crimes uh, right before they happen. We send an ice cream truck to your house. We actually, uh, you know, the perks are pretty good. Yeah, they are. In fact, we often talk about how we've given a, we've given away too much. We the perks are too good. We're too generous. Yeah. So get get in on it now before we get before we have to <laughs> tighten the clamp. Before we get all stingy. We want to thank um, James, who is the washing bear donor, who uh, gave so devotedly that he got to uh, suggest a topic for today's show, and among the topics he sent over was the Cahokia Mounds, oh. which I thought was pretty good. Well done, James. And you were just there, and I was just there. What are the odds? Pretty good, given uh, the uh, amount that we travel and... The amount that we drive across southern Illinois. Yeah. What do you got there? Seems like you're... Oh, I was... I had more spiel. Uh, so anyway, uh, go to patreon.com slash omnibus and become a patron of the show. Uh, you I'm opening the mail, which explains the noise. Right. You can uh, hang out with other futurelings. Uh, both in your future time at temples dedicated to uh, Ken and myself. But in uh, in our present time, you can find Futurelings congregating on all social media sites. It's a virtual mound. You don't have to move 55 million square feet of earth. You just have to go to Facebook. Just go to, it's, well, hmm. it's, it's worse. Facebook actually. or other, other places, right? Depending. There's a subreddit. Um, and you can mail us things. And I've sort of, uh, I've sort of given away the giving away the ghost here by talking about you over there ripping up these envelopes. But the can, famous saying we all know, giving away the ghost. I gave away the ghost. <laughs> uh, Ken is opening the mail, and, and it came to us at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. So finally, Ken, what is in the mail? I opened the big box first in classic Christmas style, and I'm very excited to see that the return address here is the Office of the Governor, 700 Capitol Avenue. Guess what? State Capitol. Kentucky. 
Frankfort, Kentucky. Is it really? What has Governor Bashir sent us? How did I <gasps> how did I how did I guess that? Governor Bashir has sent us signed certificates what? honoring us as Kentucky commissioned Kentucky colonels. Yay! Look at that. That's going right up on the omnibus bunker wall. Unless you want to put it in your Well, we got two trophy case. Let me see. Let me see mine. Thank you, Governor, for sending that over or whoever at the state is in charge of getting him to sign the Colonel uh, commissions. Honorable Kenneth Wayne Jennings the third. Yeah, that, that font is not great for the three eyes. No, it looks like backwards P's, but it's pretty good. And then I, I didn't even get I didn't even get a middle name on mine, but that's all right. It could have gone to your your Wikipedia. That's all right. These actually seem. Ken, these have been. I, I think you, that you, the think sec- you don't think it's more an auto sign or what? Do you, what do you call the auto pen? I think that the at least the Secretary of State. Uh, Michael G. Adams has signed this with his own hand. I wonder if either Andy... It's Governor he, Bashir a little busy trying to get people to mask up at the at the Rite Aid. I feel like the, the, governor's, the governor's signature the Winn-Dixie? may have been uh, may have been affixed here. It's pre, pre-printed. But Michael Adams used two separate pens for our... Uh, for our different it's probably like the um, bill signing thing where he gave one pen away to one oh. group of of needy children and the other to another group. Oh, well, those are beautiful. I'm so glad that though, that that we are enshrined. Thank you, Zach, for sending that over. I don't know if you uh, if you do that as part of your job or if you're just a listener to the show who uh, who has an in at the Secretary of State's office, but that's a lovely uh, gesture. He seems like a graphic artist, Zach Pencil. We also got something from Australia, which I'm very excited. I opened this one first because they paid a ton of money to get this to us. And, uh, you know, when you send things internationally, Lucy sent us this from Braddon, Australia. Uh-huh. Wait, is that right? ACT, isn't that the Australian Capital Territory? Isn't that like Canberra? Did she have to uh, pay VAT tax on it? Oh, no, no. no. They, she has to pay VAT tax if she buys one of our T-shirts. It's the Southern Hemisphere. They have TAV tax. Uh-huh. But the thing about these customs forms is you have to give away what you're sending. So this kind of gives away. There's, there's spoilers on the outside. I know this is going to contain documents, stickers, and a pin badge. Okay. That's a, She went to great effort to send this all the way from. I, we, would, we would like to offer you joint honorary lifetime membership to the recently formed International Astron, Astronological Society. Astronological. This is a small gesture of thanks for making Omnibus and filling up the airwaves or thousands of human heads with interesting facts, scientific and otherwise. Your official membership pack is enclosed. We have membership number 11. We we have a joint membership. Yeah, uh, apparently from Lucy and Johnny. What what is the Astronological Society? We're the 11th members of the Astronological Society. We are jointly the 11th member. So if the other members are, are each 30 people, you know, maybe we're in the first hundred. We this this uh, we get a little document certifying that we belong to the world's independent scientific society dedicated to the promotion of logical thinking around celestial phenomena. Oh, here we go. And has renounced their star sign. It's an oh. anti-astrology group oh. that has tracked us down. What is your star sign, Ken? I have to renounce it. I cannot tell you. Oh. I mean, you can probably figure it out by in two Google searches or less. <laughs> One, if you're if you're good at star signs. Let's see if I Google what is Ken Jennings's star sign. Don't. I'll have to give up my little pen they sent that says I don't have a star sign. And then these 
stickers from Lucy and Johnny. Here's one that says astronological.org. So you can check that out if you're extremely anti-horoscope. I found it, but I'm not going to say it. That's good. I would be... They would be extremely angry at me in Canberra. It just threw it right up, though. All you have to do is say, what is Ken Jennings' a star sign? I don't think I'm famous enough that this thing is going to answer that question for me, but I'm going to ask it anyway well, just to see. I'm sure it's easy to program into Google. I don't understand the stickers that come with it. There's a telescope, which I understand. Oh, I see. It's a crab. Oh, wait. It does. All you do is say, what is John Roderick's star sign? And there it is. Kapow. Don't say. Don't say. Well, Kapow isn't a star sign. Oh, you're not? Uh, you're not... Um, Kapow, Mercury Rising? No. I'm on the cusp of Kapow and Boyoyoyoying. <laughs> so is Astronological... Is this your star sign? That's pretty good. I think this is mine. The stickers are uh, are kind of... Fun, but are we supposed to not have these? Are we supposed to burn these now that we have them? No, they're, they're, they're ironical. We also get stickers of people looking in telescopes, I guess, to promote real astronomy. Yeah. But, but then they also sent us cute stickers of our star signs, which is a little confusing messaging. Astronological is not a... Um, is word? N- is not a word, right? Or, or I mean, it's, it is the no in there emphasized? I, my guess is they're taking astronomical right, and see. putting in logical to show how... Uh, that They are both astronomical and loveful. Well, my guess is to show that astrology flies in the face of logic. They I want see. to emphasize their the, the logicalness of their beliefs. Well, on behalf of uh, one half of our membership, 10 and a half, I'm going to say right on high five. Are you 10 to, to 10.5 and I'm 10.51 to 11 as far as our membership number? Yeah. All right. 10, I'm 10.5. Or do you think it starts at 11 and goes to 12? Uh, Oh, that's a good question. No, I would say 11 to 12, 11 to 12. I'm also terrified that I'm saying can can Barra wrong, and I'm going to hear from Australians on this because they still they're still mad that we're not saying Melbourne, mm. Melbourne, Melbourne. Is it? There's an R in it. Well, no, not for them. I mean, there's an Melbourne, and none of them can read and write, so they don't Cumbera. know. They don't know there's an R in it. Canberra, 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 aluminium, Canberra. How did you say it? I think I said Canberra, Canberra, as in like. Um, uh, my, I, my husband left me and I can't bear it. Uh-huh. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.